0: this episode of I'm There For You Baby.
1: This is really sort of uh, both strange and at the same time important.
0: So our next guest, Kim Folsom, is the CEO and founder of Founders First Capital Partners.
1: Uh, what thinkest thou? Came this close to becoming an attorney. I like the idea that there's something called profit.
2: These diversity, inclusion, fashion shows that happen.
1: Yeah, I would, but I didn't, God. I was not to, uh, I would. Anyway.
2: Jack Kennedy, CEO and founder
1: of Platform Science. I just want to know who did that to me? Who did the check engine like?
3: I tore his house down, so (laughs) literally.
1: Let's give him 30, 40,
3: I'm good. We raised a little over $70 today.
1: That's a lot
0: of money.
3: Uh, And if it's early, you probably are going to feel dumb for a while.
0: But you know, at the beginning, the hotel industry didn't want what we had. They thought it was stupid.
1: You're on mute. You're not doing the right thing again.
0: There for You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city.
2: You can now shop cannabis with March and Ash on our new app. Get an eighth of flour for just $5 when placing your first in app order today. Free delivery or curbside pickup on thousands of your favorite flour, edibles, carts, and more. March and Ash, shop cannabis. Beep. Beep.
1: Hello, listeners. I'm Neil Centuria, one of the co-hosts of I'm There For You, Baby, The Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. And so I've been thinking about the galaxy. Here we go. For those of you who were born shortly after the Civil War, you will remember that there was a singer named Elvis Presley. And turns out that a musical, a musical is made about Elvis Presley, and it's called Bye Bye Birdie. Because in the musical, his name is Conrad Birdie. And there's a song in the musical that says, put on a happy face. I mean, that's revolting. So it turns out the song comes from the scene in 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 the musical in which a girl learns that Elvis is going off to the army. And she is sad because she thinks that by the time he gets out of the army, she will be too old for him. And so she is advised to put on a happy face. And it's a sappy song. Now this relates to entrepreneurs in this way. It turns out that entrepreneurs have, uh, lately, of lately, are afflicted with what's called phono, f-o-n-o, fear of negative outlook. In other words, it's really hard for the entrepreneur to admit that there are times that he is unhappy, that he's miserable, that he's overcome, that he's depressed, and and. There's a a story recently about some psychologists who literally the entrepreneur of a successful company with a successful marriage and nice kids and all that stuff fakes being ill so that he can get permission to take a day off. Now, This is really sort of um, both strange and at the same time important because entrepreneurs think of themselves as the Rock of Gibraltar. And the truth is we all sift sand. So the question I wanna ask is why is it so hard for entrepreneurs to take a day off, to be willing to even take a nap? I mean, countless stories about famous people who have taken naps, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, There's a guy recently on the TechCrunch who says, I start all my Zoom meetings with having the participants share a piece of good news to help keep the mood buoyant. I mean, it's okay to be depressed. That is a human response. And in a serious way, what I'm really saying is these anxieties today are not imaginary. They are real. There really is COVID. There really is homeless. There really is jobs. There there really is climate. This is all real. And you gotta be willing to embrace, acknowledge and accept it. it. It's okay to sometimes be overwhelmed. I, I sometimes look in the parking lot and I think those aren't really aliens, but maybe they are, you can't be sure. So I'm suggesting to you that you need to allow yourself to be weak or acknowledge that, that you need help. So here's a story for you. The International Coaching Federation, I, I do coaching, has seen a 790% worldwide increase since 2001. In other words, People are acknowledging that they're crazy. It's the same as GameStop uh, in six days going from a dollar to uh, $500. So, the end of the story is it's okay. It really is okay to take a day off. It is okay to not think of that as self indulgent. It is okay to step off the achievement treadmill for a moment and acknowledge that it's okay. It's okay to not always put on a happy face. Finally, some of the best moments in life are filled with mixed emotions, and we should embrace those as well. Uh, Barbara Bree, my co host, partner, and ally, uh, what thinkest thou?
0: Uh, I think I'm taking tomorrow off, Neil. Sorry. <laughs> so, so, Neil, you know, a key theme of our lives and of this show is that everyone needs to think like an entrepreneur, whether it's in their own business, a large company, or a nonprofit. And you know, you and I have started businesses together and separately, I've started nonprofits. Some things have worked out, Uh, some things haven't uh, but uh, we've stayed in the game. And what our guests all demonstrate is the willingness to ask tough questions, to challenge the status quo and to think in new ways. Neil, you know, the data shows that businesses started by women and people of color face more hurdles when raising money. A new acronym is BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, to describe a group that has faced historic discrimination. You know, our lives have been about growing the economic pie, not fighting for a piece of the existing pie. Um, I remember when I joined the Connect program back in 1986, I could have counted the number of life science companies on two hands, and today there are hundreds. The pie is bigger. And data shows that we would all be better off, the pie would be bigger, if women and BIPOC-owned businesses had better access to capital.
1: So wait, Barbara, is that, is that
0: two-pack or BIPOC? Well, we're gonna learn more from our next guest.
1: Or, or as our trainer would say, is that a six-pack?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, in your case. So our next guest, Kim Folsom, is the CEO and founder of Founders First Capital Partners, which she started to provide capital to companies that historically have been ignored. Uh, Kim is an experienced tech executive and serial entrepreneur. One of a few black women in San Diego who has been founding leading and growing innovative companies for more than 25 years. We've known Kim a long time and have admired her success and relentless spirit. Welcome
2: Kim. Hi, welcome and so delighted to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So tell us, give us a snapshot of your career before you started
2: Founders First. Well, um, uh, sure. You know, um, like like you guys, you and Neil, I too, when I was in undergraduate school, wanted to um, not just start a business, because actually I got exposed to that when my dad was in the Navy for 22 years and he decided when he retired, he wanted to start a business. but my mom was like, are you kidding me? The only two black guys I know that run businesses are Fred Sanford and uh, George Jefferson. And I don't want to be associated with a, um, a, a garage uh, or a junkyard nor uh, run a cleaner. So, um, so that, that table, that idea, but you know, that didn't stop the, the interest. And so by the, by the time I got to undergrad, I learned about Bill Gates and Ted Turner and wanted to start and run a company like that. And I thought, well, maybe I'll get that opportunity when I went to work for my first big company, which was NCR. Found out, you know, it was great. I was a software engineer, lots of opportunities, and may got, get some advancement to run projects and that, those types of things. But never would it be that I would enter the C-suite. And so uh, around the time my first promotion to a project lead, I said, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to do this is do it on my own. Now this was pre-Oprah, so you know I'm dating myself. Um, there wasn't that opportunity to run my own company, and so it really took me eight years to figure that out because there wasn't the diversity inclusion. Heck, there wasn't even affirmative action at the time to uh, be able to start and run a company. But I knew that I had to use a different playbook because you know um, you know the typical folks that are writing checks to fund you know innovative tech companies. Are used to funding folks that are a bit different than my um, demographic.
0: Well, you didn't have role models. There was no one yeah. who looked like you. You were looking I, at the men as role models, the white men.
1: Yeah, right. I, I think your comment about George Jefferson and Fred Sanford is really revealing because to have somebody who is iconic try to become you did. I, I like what Barbara said. You, you need everyone wants to have somebody that you can. I could be that person. You didn't have that. I think this is a tremendous story for your achievement. Sure.
2: Um, so I just realized that when I went to grad school, I just have to go through and figure it out on my own. I mean, and I, with that eight years, I tried all kinds of things. I came this close to becoming an attorney because I thought maybe that's the way that I could you know, become a CEO and realized I, I, I hated it. Um, uh, but, but in any case, um, so I launched my first company in the crazy.com era. Um, And before I raised any money from any person, you know, my company was profitable, it was a seven figure company. And I had, you know, a group of guys that, you know, were probably five or so years younger than me that we all kind of worked through together launching our companies in the dot com era. Um, But, you know, that was the, the playground that I went through to launch my company. I also didn't realize a couple of op, uh, uh, benefits that I had. One, before I launched my company, I had worked with a lot of uh, innovative companies, NCR Corporation developing ATMs. They were the innovative smartphones back in the day. Um, and then I also had assets. You know, I owned my own real estate. So my first source of uh, other people's capital was taking a, a loan uh, pledged against my homes in order to you know, grow my business enough to hire people.
1: So um, wait, Kim, that Kim, that, that's called betting it all.
2: I think it's also important, you, you weren't
0: in your 20s, you'd had experience in other companies, you'd learned what works, what doesn't work before you went out on your own.
2: Oh yeah, you know, and um, I eventually got a chance to meet Oprah and she had shared with me, huh? it, nothing's wasted, you know. So while I had these guys that were in their 20s starting their first company, I was like 32 years old, a mom, working full time during the day and started my company as a side hustle. And then eventually had the agreement, like you guys partner with my husband, that when my company got to a certain point, that's when I was going to work at a full time. And I had to get to a particular revenue levels before I bet what I thought was going to be just getting a mortgage on a a rental property. But when I went to get a loan for my company, the bank said, well, gosh, we want to put a pledge against everything that you have. You have more than one home, so we want to pledge against everything for hundred thousand dollars. This is what the ask was.
0: Wow, they really—you really were betting the farm. You were betting exactly, everything.
2: Exactly. I didn't recognize some of the systematic issues that are really becoming much more <laughs> national and public today.
1: Yeah, you—you've you, actually—you've actually made a, a terrible mistake, and I—I know you've been successful. I want to call it out. You used the word profitable. That's that's like that's sinful in Silicon Valley. The, it, it's it is ironic, and I'm being a little tongue in cheek, of course. The power of real revenue and profit, you know, that's like what's left over at Christmas time that you can actually give out as a bonus, is not something that is traditionally, at least at the moment, uh, well thought of. What the what the what the funders today want is burn as much cash as you can to get as big as you can. And I actually, coming from the Midwest and being a, you know, over 90, I like the idea that there's something called profit. I'll, I've changed my mind. I'll settle for revenue. But to have profit is a great achievement.
0: So you know, And Kim, it may be because you were a Black woman, a minority in the tech world, that you had to have a higher level of success to get access to institutional capital. So what led you to start Founders First? Sure.
2: So, um, you know, fast forward, Founders First is my seventh venture. Um, You know, I have had six companies before, raised uh, capital, been through four Series A and exited three companies. But the interesting thing across that journey of 25 years, I found that there weren't very many other women of color, people of color running seven and eight figure companies. So, as I was saying, that In my 25 year journey, working with six companies, you know, founding, growing, funding, six companies, raising over 30 million in venture. I found, you know, I, it was like, you know I would go and speak to so many programs and talk to various people, but it was a common, you know thread that I was the only woman or I was the only black woman. I was the only black person or I was the only minority, you know, constantly it was just, you know, and it was like, you know uh, While well, I am smart and very hardworking, um, there's so many other talented you know, folks of color, women that you know, uh, need their opportunity. But then the other thing I found that many of them didn't have a house to pledge to get access to six and seven figures. Um, they, their business wasn't far enough along and didn't know about having a recurring revenue stream, tech enablement, you know, all of these things that you need. In order to attract growth capital, um, and uh, you know, I also in my journey went through some twelve accelerators where you know I was the one, you know, I was the only one and only, and you know, people were high fiving and bump bumping because it was like, oh my gosh, we're we're inclusive, we're diverse. Look, we've got you know we've got somebody who checks so many boxes, and it was just like you know. Um, They're not gonna get it, so I'm gonna do it on my own. So how much Uh,
0: money did you raise to get Founders First started?
2: uh, Well, I started with $15,000, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, uh, And uh, because my former investor said, hey, Kim, you should consider being on the other side. Um, And eventually we started with our first pool of capital was a million dollars that we did our initial funding of companies. And then leverage that to uh, our performance to attract a hundred million dollars of um, uh, capital to help us grow and fund another four hundred companies. So, hundred, what kind uh, of companies uh, do you yeah. lend to, and how how is it structured? Sure. So um, we also are recognizing, um, you know, letting the VCs and angels focus on the you know tech darlings. We focus on service based. And manufacturing, light manufacturing companies, as I call the main street companies. Um, those are our target markets. And we also focus on those companies that were just like me revenue generating, um, cash flow break even, um, and uh, they wanna grow. They wanna run companies where they're 10, 20, 50, 100 people.
0: So, how much, I mean, ha- so what's the model? So they, a company has $3 million in revenue. They need to borrow half a million. How do they repay you?
2: So uh, if you ever watched the show Shark Tank, um, that's uh, and, and the bald guy in the middle, Kevin O'Leary, believe it or not, when I started Founders First, there were two advisors that I you know, scoured and researched to get them to be advisors to me. One was Kevin O'Leary, which I hunted him down at an Inc. conference in Washington, D.C. and said, hey, I like the revenue-based model because it doesn't require you to exit in order to provide liquidity to your investors and you have a shared interest. I would, you know, what can I do to get you to, you know, support me with doing this? I told him, you know, I had all my uh, document with all my background and all of this. And he's like, sure, sure, sure. You know, cause I, as I said, I followed him around through this whole conference. And then the other was a gentleman um, that is the founder, Well, he's the CEO of, former CEO of Lighter Capital. And they have really you know commercialized revenue-based financing though for tech companies and asked him would you be a mentor and advisor to me because that's the model i want to fund these diverse founder-led companies so our model is one pre-funding education and you know for every 10 companies that come through those programs we may refer them to somebody else we may not fund them on the other side but our funding Is a revenue-based where you know we take a royalty percentage of their revenues until they pay it back for a cap. We don't just do a one-time funding; we do a follow-on funding um, up to a million dollars. So it may be funding you where you are. If you're a half million dollar company, where like where I was, uh, you know, $100,000 may help you hire a few people and do some initiatives. You know, there's always this excuse that, you know, you have executional risk when you work with these smaller entrepreneurs and they may not be savvy and all this other stuff. And so we want to use our social capital to help these guys get contracts with fortune 1000 companies.
0: You're helping the companies to scale.
2: Right, exactly. To, to
0: grow, to develop the infrastructure that they're gonna to need to be a larger company in addition uh, to providing them with the capital. So um, last question, um, well actually if, I, if we have time for two, how has COVID impacted you and what is next for your company?
2: Sure, um, COVID has been you know, uh, interesting uh, enlightenment. enlightenment. When I started Founders First in 2015, people thought I was crazy um, because it was like, why are you doing this with all your talent focusing on this market? And it's like, this is such a huge opportunity, you just don't get it. And now people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that you, know, you had these businesses out there and the challenges they face. So um, it's accelerated the awareness and the execution of what we're doing Um, There's a lot of people that have done what I categorize as diversity theater. They've made a lot of pledges that they're doing things, but not enough action yet. So that's the thing that's kind of interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to know there's been these, every post bull market, these diversity inclusion uh, fashion shows that happen. And my hope is that, you know, that more will happen out of this. Um, There are a lot of people who haven't laid the groundwork that have jumped on this bandwagon and not willing to do the hard work and i'm fine with partnering with some of those folks but i just want them to help move the needle forward
0: so are you planning to raise uh, more money you've raised
2: 100 million are you planning to raise more sure we will be launching and announcing uh, more funds as we go um, with other folks that have an interest in uh, doing good and doing well um, and because the other reason why we have attracted the capital is that it's a beneficial thing to those impact and ESG investors. Great. So tell us what is ESG? <laughs> uh, it's environmental governance and social good. And uh,
1: I think it's also what they put on Chinese food.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh,
0: Kim, is there anything that you'd like to uh, let our listeners know? And of course, how can they get in
2: touch with founders first? Certainly, well, first, um, the next uh, leg of our stool is we are partnering with a number of Fortune 1000 and quasi-government organizations that really have an interest in uh, executing against their their pledges they've made for diversity and inclusion, especially as it relates to supply chain, and to get in contact with, with us Foundersfirstcdc.org, which is our the nonprofit, our accelerator is the best way of getting a hold of us. And to get a hold of me is LinkedIn. Uh just uh search for Kim Folsom, and that's a great way of getting a hold of me.
0: That's fantastic. Well, Kim, uh what you're doing is really important we hope that it's not just uh, a trend of the season it needs to be a permanent trend uh, providing access to capital and then helping uh, these companies grow and scale Uh, listeners we've been talking with kim folson the founder and ceo of founders first capital partners
2: I'm Kim Folsom, founder and CEO of Founders First Capital Partners, and you're listening to I'm There For You, Baby, the entrepreneur's guide to the galaxy.
1: I think Kim's story is really powerful. I admire what she achieved at a time when, you know, being a smart Black woman was not um, as desirable as it might be today. And the second thing is she didn't choose to start another company to just make money for herself. She chose to start a company to accelerate, encourage, participate, advance other people. Now, along the way, it's like the mafia, she gets a VIG, but that's, that's nice, but that's not a all long time business. So I admire the motivation for Founders First.
0: Yeah, Kim is uh, a great entrepreneur. She persevered when there was nobody else in the room who looked like her. And as you said, she is using all that she's learned to now help the next generation of underserved entrepreneurs. Uh, Don't go away. Coming up in our next segment, we'll talk with Jack Kennedy, the founder and CEO of Platform Science one of a growing number of connected vehicle transportation companies in San Diego.
1: Listeners, this show is for you and about you. So if you have some thoughts, opinions, or advice, please send it to info at com. We have a thick skin. Go ahead. We can take it. Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the
2: communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools,
1: data sets, and creative techniques, all to help corporate government and nonprofit organizations like you deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects in any language or location. Visit us today at ivc.media. The COVID pandemic has hit America hard. Nationwide,
2: black individuals have seen 2.6 times greater infection rate than their white counterparts. The news is especially frightening for African Americans who are at a greater risk of severe complications from COVID-19 due to underlying conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, and obesity. I'm Dr. Shirley Weber, the Assemblywoman from the 79th, and I'm encouraging everyone in our communities to do their part Get tested, mask up, and avoid gatherings. Visit blackcovidfactssd.org.
0: You're listening to I'm There For You, Baby, presented by IVN.
1: Listeners, welcome back to I'm There For You, Baby, the entrepreneur's guide to the galaxy. I'm here today with my host, bride, partner, and ally, Barbara Bree.
0: Well, thank you, Neil. Uh, Neil, I know this dates me, but I remember my first car, a green VW Bug. Green has always been my favorite color. It had a stick shift, an AM radio, no, not even FM, no air conditioning, no electric windows, a simple odometer to measure the number of miles that I drove, basically no technology, no computer. And today, of course, our cars are filled with technology. I just read 30 to 50 computers Average in the new car, 60 to 100 different sensors, electronic control units for GPS to measure emissions, to unlock doors, automatic braking sensors, self-driving, self-parking, and more. And when you talk about trucks and other types of heavy vehicles, the amount of technology can be overwhelming. So an industry has developed to manage this technology, an industry called telematics and a growing number of these companies are in San Diego. Our next guest is Jack Kennedy, CEO and founder of Platform Science, a leader in creating a new category called uh, a connected vehicle transportation platform. Welcome, Jack.
3: Nice to be here, thank you.
0: Great. So please share a little bit of your background before you started uh, Platform
3: Science. Sure. Uh, I had sort of three chapters to my my career. The first was in the military, which initially brought me to Southern California. But part two, I spent most of my uh, the late '90s and the 2000s and uh, the early teens in the media business, particularly the digital media business. Uh, and, and during that period of time, it's where we also the transition from dumb phones to smartphones, from desktops to clouds, and from uh, large production companies to application ecosystems.
0: So you, and then what brought you to San Diego? What was your first job here?
3: My first job, and certainly in this space, I worked for Qualcomm uh, kind of briefly in 2013. Uh, At the time they were transitioning um, or looking to transition out of uh, the telematics business, which had been an early uh, and very productive part of that business. But in the growing uh, IT world that they created, it just wasn't as significant. So I, I was there for about a year. And during that period of time, we basically spun it out. Uh, and then it left me in San Diego with uh, nothing but an imagination.
1: So, so the, what, what you spun out was Omnitracks, right?
3: It was. It is now known as Omnitracks. At the time, it was called Qualcomm Enterprise Systems. And it included a number of other uh, components, but the primary one was Omnitracks.
0: Yeah, and I remember Omnitracks. Actually, I was working at the Connect program at the time. That's where I was in Qualcomm's early days. And I helped arrange for the Vice President of the United States at the time, Dan Quayle, to visit Qualcomm and to see a demonstration of Omnitracks. And he actually used the system to communicate with a trucker in Indiana, which was his home state. So I remember that was sort of what gave Qualcomm its start in terms of generating revenue while they perfected uh, CDMA, which became the technology of course, uh, that made the company. So you've left, you know, you've sold Omnitrack successfully. What was the aha moment that led to starting Platform Science?
3: Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, I had come from the media world and I'd watched that business be completely sort of disaggregated. I mean, we take Netflix and Hulu and things like that for granted, but, you know, in 2000, that wasn't the case. So the things that I saw change uh, the entertainment world, uh, the way that a phone could now replace any number of other viewing uh, you know, behaviors prior to that, the way application developers could build an app on a phone that could be bigger than an entire media company, and the fact that somebody could start a, a very large, scalable organization using someone else's computers in the form of the cloud, those dynamics uh, uh, really struck me as transformative in the media world. But when I arrived in the transportation world, in this case, telematics, I saw a complete absence of those things. So there wasn't any obvious way to connect the dots between those two uh, two disparate worlds. So my aha moment uh, was it sort of a two step. First was there's nothing in transportation that looks like what's on our phones. And then the next step was where's the right place to start to find an entry point to, to change that.
1: Yeah, I, I wanna ask the question, so I understand that the cars have lots of sensors and technology. Do They, they communicate under, uh, by Wi-Fi or GPS or satellite. How do they get to your dashboard? So when that little check engine light comes on and I begin to scream and hit the horn and throw a fit, I just want to know who did that to me? Who did the check engine light?
3: That probably in all likelihood, certainly historically, that came from your vehicle itself there were parameters on an onboard computer of some complexity that got a fault code and transmitted a light to you. But you just highlighted a problem. It said, check engine. Tell me what happens when you get that check engine light. What do you do with that? that makes- I, I talked to Nicole. But
1: I asked my secretary to take the car and then get me, get me out of this mess.
3: Anybody can relate to a check engine light and not having the slightest idea what that means and being nothing but annoyed or scared that you're now looking at a potential fault with your vehicle with no idea what to do with it. So that is sort of the big aha moment for everybody in this space.
1: Jack, essentially platform science plays in what's called IOT, the internet of things. Tell me how that has evolved and where do you think it's going?
3: Sure, I mean, IOT like like the cloud itself is an architecture that describes a bunch of various things that emit data being collected for some purpose. And architecturally, if you're going to build a platform like ourselves, you have to make sure that you can coherently digest and deliver back information and answers both ways. So creating a platform with useful applications is not possible if you're not sitting in an architecture that considers trucks, vehicles, toll booths, parking spaces, lights, things that are all connected with a common data format so that developers can develop useful things on top of. So Jack, one more thing I'd like to connect
1: to Platform Sciences platform. uh, A a smart refrigerator that that could like tell Barbara what's coming for dinner. I'll put that on your list. Thanks a lot.
0: Great. And so, and you're, so what kind of research did you do to decide that you know, know, I've talked about, we've talked about passenger cars, but that's not your market. Your market is trucks and companies that have vehicle fleets. So why did you go there?
3: Right. Well, I, I, it's a fair question. And my first instinct was to look at passenger cars, because there are so many of them. And as I said, looking at a check engine light, my first reaction was, why can't we know more than just that? That seems silly, in this day and age, there's not more information. So I spent about a year uh, with one of my early uh, uh, advisors interviewing uh, large OEMs, large rental and lease fleet, large secondary market uh, distribution companies. So
0: observations, I, you went and looked at people driving, or what did you what did observation mean?
3: We looked at people driving, we looked at people operating fleets. We looked at people in maintenance departments. We looked at people in legal t- departments managing compliance, insurance, other regulatory aspects. We talked to HR departments that, had to manage large fleets of human beings that were operating these vehicles. And we just found an ecosystem of people that had problems related to vehicles that were constrained by the inability to get data to help them make decisions.
0: Great. I love that you actually went out and not just talked to the customer, but watched the customer. I think that's what Scott Cook did when he was starting Intuit. He actually went and sat in people's kitchens and watched how they paid their bills and managed uh, their family finances because the customer may tell you one thing but that's not really um, how they're behaving Uh, listeners we're talking with Jack Kennedy the CEO and co-founder of Platform Science a leader in the telematics industry Uh, please stay with us we'll be back after a short break
2: You can now shop cannabis with March and Ash on our new app. Get an eighth of flour for just $5 when placing your first in-app order today. Free delivery or curbside pickup on thousands of your favorite flour, edibles, carts, and more. March and Ash, shop cannabis.
1: The COVID pandemic has hit America hard, but it has devastated, underserved, and economically challenged communities of color nationwide. Black individuals have seen 2.6 times greater infection rate than their white counterparts. The news is especially frightening for African Americans who are at a greater risk of severe complications from COVID-19 due to underlying conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, and obesity. I'm Armand King, co-founder of Paving Great Futures, and I'm encouraging everyone in our communities to do their part, get tested, mask up, and avoid gatherings. Get the facts on COVID-19, on how you can best protect yourself, your family, and your beloved community. This message is brought to you by the Multicultural Health Foundation with funding from the County of San Diego in support of the Live Well San Diego vision for healthy, safe, and thriving communities.
0: Welcome back to I'm There For You Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm here with my co-host, Neil Centuria, who's also my husband, and our guest, Jack Kennedy, the co-founder and CEO of Platform Science. Uh, Jack, tell us what is your company's value proposition? What do you do and who are your customers?
3: Sure. Uh, We basically help our customers, large trucking fleets like Schneider National or Werner, top 10 fleets with tens of thousands of trucks, manage and distribute software on vehicles that help their drivers do their jobs, that help their maintainers maintain the vehicles, and help their operations people communicate with their, their end customers about where those goods are and when they'll be there, that type of thing.
1: Great. Do you
3: do you help set routes? We don't help set routes. We deliver applications people use to do that. And then we allow those routes to integrate into other applications like the driver's daily workflow to make them more useful to that driver.
0: Started in 2015, how much money have you
3: raised? You've raised a little over 70 million today.
0: That's a lot of money. Uh, And how many employees do you have?
3: About 165 right now.
0: And could you give us a ballpark of what your annual revenues are?
3: Uh, It's fair to say it's in the tens of millions, but we don't like to be too specific about that.
0: Okay. We are private. And you are a private company. So going back to the aha moment, you know, this isn't a company you can start by yourself. You need someone who has, you've got the business and financing Background, but you need someone with a technical background. How did you find uh, your co founder?
3: I tore his house down. So, <laughs> literally, uh, my co founder uh, lived in the neighborhood that I moved into and had a development shop uh, here doing work for companies around town like Qualcomm and Q Health and West, uh, Western Health and a bunch of other things that were device and mobile application related. So, the cloud component, the device component, the application component. And the intense user studies around that were things that he was providing uh, development services for as an agency for a decade. And I literally uh, moved into a house that had been on the site of his former house uh, that he rented. And at some point he introduced himself to me and wanted to know about who I was and what I was doing. And very quickly uh, he started uh, delivering ideas and, 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 uh, and instigating conversations about something we might be able to do together.
0: So your co-founder is Jake Fields. I think you were both living in Mission Beach at the time. Yes, Jake, uh, is he's a-
3: the uh, founder and owner of Treeline uh, Interactive, which again is a company that made all those different p- products for companies around town and across the country.
0: So you get to know each other over a period of time before you officially launch Platform Science.
3: We did. Uh, he, you know, he was at that time running an agency and, and aggressively looking for New business and ideas, and and I had come from a very different world, and I didn't see any obvious things that we could do together early on. Uh, but over the you know the teens after my time spent with the, uh, the car makers, the OEMs, uh, I realized there wasn't a very obvious immediate monet- monetizable need in the auto space. But Jake was running into applications once again in the logistics space around trailers and tracking and other things while also looking at things in the ride sharing space for another company that had given him some platform background. So he approached me again and said, there must be a way to take this platform and solve these problems you're talking about that are not solved in the logistics space if we can find the right co-development partners to help us get going.
0: So you know, you know having the right co-founder is so important. Uh, I think there's a study done by a professor at Harvard Business School, Noam Wasserman, uh, that you know, a lot of companies don't make it because the co-founders simply don't get along. Uh, so how have you and Jake structured your relationship?
3: Uh, I would say that it's, it's a bit organic. Um, we're both, I'd say, visionaries and Jake is a much uh, better executor, I think, than I am. But I you know, I have an idea of where this will go and how to translate that into a business opportunity. And we're both good team builders. So we build different types of teams. On the business side, I've assembled you know, people that understand how to think about and deliver that value to both customers and investors. And Jake has done a tremendous job of doing some of that, but also building a tech team to actually deliver on those promises.
0: So you, um, you have customers, but there are competitors in your space. What is the next set of challenges for Platform Science?
3: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's in your question. You, you described this as having competitors in our space. And the reality is there are people in the telematic space, but there aren't people that have taken a platform first approach. So our current challenge, which we're working through successfully is making our competitors participants on the platform as opposed to competing directly with it.
0: Fascinating. So have you had some success with getting some of them onto your platform?
3: We have. And as you can imagine within any bundled service, we've certainly seen it in media, you know, people always like something about the products they're using, but they rarely like everything in a bundle. In our world, um, we, we first had to start the hard way, which was to acquire a large customer. And that customer may have had a legacy provider originally. And they may have liked some of what that legacy provider had, had to offer. But once we assumed uh, the platform uh, operations within that customer, we'd approach the legacy players and see if we could get one, two, or three of, that, of the applications or services they provided and make them available again. So that was how it started. Now people get the model, and they don't necessarily need to uh, enter the platform only after we've taken the customer away, but they can do it proactively now as well.
0: Well, I love the strategy of turning your competitors into your your partners. So who do you turn to for advice? You know, you've you've grown this company very quickly. You've raised a lot of money. You've gotten customers, but you know it's a competitive space. Who do you turn to for advice?
3: We have an excellent board and a group of investors who are all either directly strategic or have LPs who are strategically helpful to us because they come from the industry where our customers are. They come from the OEM industry where the trucks are manufactured or cars are manufactured or in one case, uh, Prologis is the largest operator of warehouses in the world. So part of connecting trucks is creating more visibility through the supply chain. And you really can't have perfect visibility if you don't monitor those places where they spend the most time and those places are in the road or at a distribution center. So we, we get advice from all of our ecosystem partners. And our chairman uh, ran global logistics for Walmart before joining us. So Wow. So how did you to, get
0: him? How did you get him? That's an amazing person to have.
3: Uh, he's a West Point person. I'm a Naval Academy person. And um, uh, we were introduced and we thought that was kind of amusing. And the timing was right, and uh, we, we convinced them to be part of our adventure.
0: What's been good and bad about having your company in San Diego?
3: Well, I think everybody you know would, would say that San Diego doesn't have the volume of, of uh, I, don't, I don't use the word talent. We have lots of talent. The numbers are not as high as they are in, in say the Valley, but I would say that the flip side is also true. The types of talent that you can get in San Diego for a business like ours, Uh, are very rare. And uh, San Diego has a much higher percentage base of, I don't wanna use the word generalist to diminish things, but people who've worked all the way from the hardware layer through the cloud, through the mobile device, through the applications. Very hard to find people in other parts of the country who are coherently uh, capable of of thinking of things
1: like that. Jack, you are loved by the way, really highly thought of in this community. So I wanna tell you, uh, I'm thrilled. Here's the question. Jack, what keeps you up at night?
3: Wow. Uh, What keeps me up at night? Uh, It's a long list. I think uh, keeping my customers happy, my employees happy, uh, and doing exactly what I just said in the previous question, which is reminding myself to keep going no matter what. Uh, As long as you can do those three things, there's nothing else to worry about.
0: Jack, uh, what last uh, thing would you like to leave our listeners with?
3: Sure. I think any entrepreneur that's trying to do something that's truly disruptive, uh, you've really you heard the term, you've been told you have to be committed to it, but I would emphasize that uh, when I'm asked what's the one key thing to success for any entrepreneur, I can only point to one thing, and that's the willingness and the ability to keep going. Because if you have an idea that's really good, it's probably early. And if it's early, you probably are gonna feel dumb for a while. But if you can hang around long enough, you'll probably be proven right eventually, but you have to have the willingness to do that. So keep going.
0: You know, I love that Jack. And uh, when we talked on the phone uh, before this interview, you told me about the first time you'd met Neil, which was when uh, you were with a venture capital firm in San Diego and he was raising money for our first software company, Atcom. And uh, I think I shared with you at the beginning, you know, our, our company ended up uh, pioneering hotel uh, internet access in hotel rooms, but you know, at the beginning, the hotel industry didn't want what we had. They thought it was stupid. So, so we've experienced and we've experienced the same thing with other companies also.
3: Right, if your idea is obviously good at the start, you're either late or completely wrong. So be prepared to go the distance.
0: Well, you know, San Diego is looking to grow the next Qualcomm. It could be you. It could be, you know, well, we have got some companies near you. Uh, Smart Drive, uh, Too Simple, uh, a few blocks away, I think, has raised almost $400 million in venture capital. They're making an autonomous truck. Uh, you have a great story. We're excited that you're here in San Diego. And thank you so much for joining us today, Jack.
3: Thank you for having me. Jack Kennedy, CEO and co-founder of Platform Science. You've been listening to, I'm there for you, baby, the entrepreneur's guide to the Galaxy.
0: You know, Neil, Jack has a great story. Uh, this company, Platform Science, is a leader in creating a new category called uh, a Connected Vehicle Transportation Platform. What are your thoughts?
1: I think he's a rock star. I've known him a long time. I like it. I I think that this whole space, and we kind of touched on it, this thing called IoT, which is the internet of things. It's powerful if it's used well. So one of the risks in IoT is that everything's connected and that's an issue of, I'm not sure I want to be connected, but if I'm in a truck, it is for sure that I do want to be connected and know where I'm going, the distribution, and what that damn check engine light means when it comes on.
0: Listeners, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Tune in next week for another edition of I'm There For You Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. We're going to talk about when Neil went to prison and how he got out.
1: We don't do this show for our health. We do it for yours. So if you have advice, thoughts, comments, please feel free. We got a thick skin. Send your thoughts to info at I'mThereForYouBaby.com.
0: Thank you for listening to I'm There For You Baby, presented by IVN. I'm There For You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city.
3: Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects in any language or location. Visit us today at IVC.media.